Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham. Curling, curling. Magnificent all round. Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low. Corey to Ling. And then Ling goes bang. And the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. The top four moves. Richmond returns to the eight. And speed kills the Bombers run down the Hawks. Port Adelaide powering up as the dogs slide further. And the Suns roll up their sleeves. There's a lot to work through this round eight of football on the Al and Lingy show. And a very special guest is joining us today as well. Cameron Ling, hello to you. Hello, Al. Great to be with you. Plenty to talk about from this round. I mean, impressive again from Demons. They're still the Premiership favourites. The man who's about to join us, his team's going along nicely. They had a bit of an easier one this week, but there were a couple of other teams that just popped their head up and said, hang on, don't forget about us. So there's plenty to go through. I'm looking forward to it. Well, he is the champion of the game. He's the uh, trustworthy Brisbane Lions fullback. His name is Harris Andrews. His team's going beautifully inside the top four at the moment. Very pleased to say he has joined us on the show. Harris, welcome to you, mate. G'day, Al. G'day, Lingy. How are we? Going really well. Um, sum up your weekend. How did you see it? Um, great performance by the team, albeit against a heavily depleted West Coast. Uh, yeah, I thought it was um, a really strong professional uh, performance, I guess. We sort of went into the game with a fair bit of uncertainty. It was a bit of a, a different week for us in the sense that, um, you know, <laughs> Up until uh, Friday afternoon, we didn't really know who we were going to be coming up against. So, sort of put a lot of the oppo analysis stuff out the window, which we normally get into during the week. But, um, you know, I thought we came out, played our role as a team, um, you know, and just sort of went into it, not really, um, you know, over underestimating them as a football club. They still had 12 or 13 blokes out there. Uh, played in the Premiership in 2018. So, you know, to get the job done against them in, um, in some pretty tough conditions, pretty dewy up here and pretty wet and a little bit of rain. So it was, yeah, real professional effort and we're pretty proud of it. Professional's the word, isn't it, Harris? I love the way you just went out there, got the job done, ruthless in defence, strong in attack, all of that. I heard Chris Fagan talk during the week, though, about almost handing over some of that game prep and that analysis to the players. What, what did that specifically involve? How much more did you do than you would normally do during the week? Yeah, so we talked about um, having a bit more ownership of um, like little things about, um, you know, how they play the game. So Mark Stone, the um, opposition analysis, um, he provided us like a really good template to know what they do. And then usually on the sort of the day before the game, Fags will talk about what we need to do as a footy team. And um he sort of left that to us this week. He sort of provided some stats and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, helps us inform um, the group of that. But, yeah, we split up as, a, as, a, as lines and, and we talked about, um, you know, what we thought we had to do in offence, defence and at stoppage and contest. And, um, I don't know, it was a really worthwhile activity, I guess. It's important to keep developing, um, I guess, our football knowledge and our ability to, to recognise what teams do well and how we can combat that. And, um, you know, I'm sure Fags will probably go back to the standard way of coaching, which has worked so well for us um, as the past, but it was a really great exercise in, in somewhat of an odd week with, um, with obviously what was going on at West Coast. How beneficial has the experience, Harris, been of finals for Brisbane in recent years with your young group to have got to those positions where you can contend and ultimately not quite being able to, to complete that final piece? How, how beneficial, though, has those experiences been for you? Yeah, they've been they've been fantastic to be honest with you. Al. Obviously, you know we want to go the ultimate, the, the whole way and, and win a grand final. Um, but certainly, the last three years have been really great opportunities for us to harden as a group and and really learn about those big moments. Um, you know, the first year we played against the Giants and lost that final at the Gabba was sort of a bit of a honeymoon period. Um, we sort of probably weren't expected to play finals that year, and to get to an elimination final was was pretty awesome. Um, and then I guess probably the last two years have been really frustrating. Um, you know, we've, we've learned some really strong lessons about 
big moments in games, um, being able to deal with momentum and a little bit of adversity. Um, last year, we had, you know, Dan McStay go down in our first final against uh, the Demons at Adelaide Oval. And, um, you know, we probably didn't deal with that that well. And, and obviously against the Dogs, you know, they were able to get over the line by one point against us at the Gabba. So we spent all summer working on, you know, things that we can do to improve our effort and performance in big moments. Um, and clearly we're not going to get the opportunity to show those workings until we get back into those, you know, um, those finals or, or big games that we want to play. But um, I guess we feel like we've done good things in the, in the off-season and the pre-season. And um, so far this year on the, on the park, we've been able to sort of step up and, and play some relatively good football. And you mentioned Dan McStay. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's going all right. Um, he's uh, got an x-ray last night on his ankle. Um, I think it was all clear from a, a bone perspective. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got to go in tomorrow and get an MRI um, to obviously sort of see what else has happened in there. But, um, you know, fingers crossed for him and, and for us as a footy team, it's nothing too serious. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it goes all right. That forward line's been functioning Really well. The, you can see Cam Rayner just taking... Just, they're not giant leaps um, and taking the comp by storm, but he's taking those steps in his progression now. And you can see Charlie Cameron there, Link McCarthy, all of this. The other piece is potentially Eric Hipwood. Uh, are we seeing him this week? Are we seeing him next week? How excited can Brisbane Lions fans get? How far away? Yeah, I'm not sure, Lingy. Um, I know he will play this week. Um, I'm not sure whether that's going to be AFL or, or VFL. Um, I don't know. Probably Macca going down and maybe not being available this week might force Fags' hand. But, um, you know, he's had a really great training block the last sort of four or five weeks. He's been running around like a madman in our match sim on, uh, on Thursday training. Sort of, I don't know, he seems to be pretty fresh and everyone else is pretty buggered from the weekend still. And, um, you know, you sort of want to throw, him, throw your weight into him a bit. But, um, yeah, no, he's been going really well. He's... Been super, um, super professional with his performance and, and just getting right um, with the rehab coach. And, um, you know, we'll be absolutely pumped to get him back out there. Whether that's in the AFL or BFL, I'm, I'm not too sure, Lingy, unfortunately, but it's going to be great to see him out there regardless. All right, Harris. Well, it's great to have you with us. So um, we start the program usually, mate, with something that we love from the round of football. I, I was at Marvel Stadium uh, watching Carlton and Adelaide and a player that you might have to keep an eye on, I reckon, and you had back for is Charlie Kerno. He kicked six goals today, but it's so good to see a player like Charlie who's played such limited football across the course of the last three seasons, having a huge impact. He's now kicked 25 goals for the year and he's kicked five, uh, three times now. So six today and five against Port Adelaide, five against the Western Bulldogs. But he's, he's leading, he, he's presenting. Um, he just looks fit again. He's a wonderful athlete. He's got a great set of hands. He kicked a couple of goals today when the ball hit the ground as well. Lingy, so, I mean, Carlton, what it has at its disposal with those two key forwards, as much as Fremantle did a superb job when they played a couple of weeks ago in nullifying that pair, but Mackay and Kurnow do present such a threat. My other like was going to be the Gold Coast Suns, but I, I think we'll, we'll talk about them in a little more depth because we lined them up last week, me in particular, Lingy, and I have to say, I'm thoroughly impressed with their performance against the Sydney Swans. Yeah, they, they were a big one um, for me as well, Al, and great pick with Charlie Kerno, uh, Isn't it just, I love, Harris, you might not love it so much, but the, the, the big key forwards in full flight and launching at the footy, taking those marks and kicking the, the big goals, it is a sensational side. I just turn into a footy fan when I'm watching those types of players play. And it, and it does, on a serious note, not just because he's with us, it shows how massive a job it is for the key defenders to play on a player like Charlie Kerno, who's just this phenomenal athlete and he's a giant of a man. And if you do let him get it anywhere within 55, he's going to make the distance. So uh, it's a huge handful. It is great to watch. I'm going to, I'm going to give a little bit of what caught my eye. We're going to touch on the sun shortly, as you said, Al, but the sun's, I, I, I hesitate to use the word discards because it's not the right word, but no longer sons. Peter Wright, six goals. Tom Lynch, Six goals. Stephen May just showed again why he's, the, along with the man that we're talking to, the very best backman in the competition. Wouldn't the Gold Coast Suns, after a win like they've had against the Swans, just nicely slot in two big key forwards, kicking six each, and Stephen May down in that back line. But those three players, I just thought, had massive, massive games. It was great to see them dominate, though Stewie Jew would prefer them still wearing the Suns' colours, of course. 
So, Lee, I was trying hard to bring some positivity around the Gold Coast Suns. And the first thing you do is talk about the star players that they no longer have. <laughs> You're a hard taskmaster. Harris, uh, anything in particular catch your eye across the course of the round? Uh, the only thing for mine, I was, um, he, he does play for the Suns, but uh, seeing Rory Thompson come back, actually, um, I think I saw something early, earlier in the week which said that it had been, you know, 1,300 plus days since uh, he played in the AFL. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure he's done two knees during that period. So I guess to see someone, you know, try so hard, get, you know, spend so much time in rehab and, and get back to playing AFL football, um, you know, that can't be underestimated. And I'm sure. The boys at the Suns probably got a real lift from that. You know, seeing a guy that's spent so many probably isolated hours and time by himself and, you know, probably starting to question his ability to get back out on the park, um, you know, that would have absolutely given them a lift. So, yeah, that was probably the thing for mine that I really enjoyed over the weekend. Obviously, the defender as well. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke to Dave Mundy on the program a couple of weeks ago and he talked about as much as it's great that Fremantle's flying and West Coast is struggling, he still much prefers football when the two teams from the state are both doing well. How do you feel about the way you're going at the moment and the, the ongoing struggles that the Gold Coast Suns have had to really submit themselves in this competition? Um, oh, I think it'd obviously be really great, you know, to get both Queensland teams up and firing, and, um, you know, playing, playing finals footy. I guess we're in a bit of a different situation from, you know, teams in Melbourne where, um, you know, probably the support supporter bases for both clubs isn't quite the same as some of those big Melbourne clubs. And um, I've certainly seen a big shift in, I guess, popularity of AFL up here in Brisbane in particular, since we've sort of started playing some finals and having a little bit of team success over the last couple of years. So I don't know, it's probably, probably just great for the, for the Suns to get a win on the weekend like they did. And I guess if they can continue to progress and continue to develop um, and get more wins on the board sort of thing, then it's only going to benefit Queensland football in general and, That'll obviously help sort of the academy pathway, something that I went through, um, you know, before I got drafted. And, yeah, I just, you know, it'd be great to see both clubs sort of up and firing and, and playing in big games and, you know, hopefully playing finals. The telling feature in Gold Coast, to my eye, was that it was a very even performance, a real workmanlike performance where they rolled their sleeves up and collectively achieved something. And, you know, fair any had 29 disposals, but there was no one racking up the sort of high 30 numbers you know, racking up possessions that didn't mean too much. No one kicked a big bag of goals. It was just a really honest four-quarter performance from a side that, let's face it, you need to produce a win like that. So, and Sydney's a very credible side in this competition. Oh, a very, very good team. And you talk about honest teams, so you know what you're going to get every single week. That's the Sydney Swans. So for the Suns to be able to do that to Sydney was, was really, really high quality. Um, fantastic. And as you said, so much of it, Anytime you look at the Suns, you just go, okay, what did, what did Tuke Miller do? Because chances are he's probably the only player who's done anything in the whole game. And it all falls on his shoulders. And he's a superb player. This week, a really even contribution. A terrific win against a good Swans team. I sit here just going, okay, you can, if, you, if you can do it once, you can do it twice. And if you can do it twice, you can do it five times. You can do it ten times. So now... We just need to see that all the time, Al. Um, and I'm not trying to be the downer. I'm not trying to bring a dampener to it. But just with what the Suns have got at their disposal with talent and what we've just been hoping and pleading for over these years is that we want to see it multiple weeks in a row and, and backed up and, and some really quality footy. And I'd love to see it because I, I, some, some of those Suns players are a pleasure to watch. Now, as I am, I just... I enjoy watching teams play a certain way and I enjoy certain players play because they are exciting, because they take the game on. They can win it in a contest. They don't rack up cheap garbage possessions. They actually have high-impact possessions. That, those types of players I love. Suns have got a couple of those. So I want to see them unleashed in some big games where they're playing against other top eight teams or other top four teams because they're entrenched in there. So just show it to me a few weeks in a row before I go getting carried away too much, Al. But tip of the hat, credit where credit is due. A very, very good win against an excellent Swans team. They play Fremantle on Sunday in the early game at home at Carrara. So as much as last week we were talking about it's, it's tough for this side because they've only won two games. They're going to battle to make the finals. They've got Sydney and then Fremantle. Well, after the Sydney performance and now to be at home against 
the Dockers. Let's see what they can produce because it is about backing up week after week. And as Harris, your team has done now so successfully over repeated seasons, win your games at home, really turn your home ground into a fortress. That's been such a key part of your build, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I, uh, I saw a stat the other day. I think we've, you know, we've only lost one over at the Gabba in the last sort of three or four years, um, which, as you said, being able to sort of turn that into a fortress. And um, that's something I guess we probably talked about early on when we were, you know, really struggling under Fags and only coming away with five wins in the season was being able to really solidify that home ground advantage. And um, I don't know, I feel like we, we've got a really good crowd up there. Uh, I feel like we play the ground relatively well. and. Um, Probably some of the uh, the weather conditions up there as well probably play their hands a little bit. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity for the Suns. Um, it's obviously quite dewy down there in the afternoon and at night. Um, it's a great opportunity for them to sort of try and build on that fortress and hopefully they can win as many games down there as they can. So Carlton's in the top four now, the completion of eight rounds, and it remains to be seen whether they can stay there. I think it's safe to say that Carlton's going to play finals football this year, which is a great achievement in the first year under Michael Voss. Still plenty of football to be played, but they do appear to have the key planks and they're playing some really good football. They've won six games. They've lost two so far this season. There was an opportunity, though, Lingy, at three-quarter time. Carlton was well up in this game, in fact, at 68-point lead at one point. And you wondered whether, as the next part of the evolution for this group, they could really put a team away, show that really ruthless streak, like a Brisbane would, like a Melbourne would. And they were outscored and outplayed in the last quarter by, by Adelaide. So as much as a lot of positives will be taken out of Carlton's win again, and they're in the top four, is there still just that little asterisk around just how uh, far off the very best teams they are? Uh, there's, well, there's still steps in their evolution, Al. Um, I, I think I was excited about them coming into this year because, as you know, and I've spoken about it countless times with you, I'm a huge Michael Voss fan. I'm glad he got the job. I thought the list was, was good enough for him to take it somewhere. But I thought perhaps that was maybe sixth to eighth. So I think they're already outperforming where my expectations were. And they were pretty positive coming into the year. But they've still got their best footy well and truly ahead of them. There's still multiple steps they need to go to. You're right. They, they've got to learn how to completely destroy a team, break a team physically and mentally and put them to the sword and have no remorse about it and just absolutely destroy them. And know that you're destroying them for the next four or five years, potentially. And you're really taking part of them and, and owning it. So that's a step in their evolution as a team. The other one is, though, and I think this is where I'm going to find the positive out of this, to, to get themselves to the position they did at three-quarter time, which was to play some outstanding footy. And I love the way they attack and the way they take the game on and move it forward, is... To then have a last quarter like they did, Michael Voss will now have some really good coachable moments from that last quarter to say, okay, it's a terrific win. It's a, you know, an eight or 10 goal win. Happy days. Life's good. But are we going to just accept other people's standards and we just play to a team that is going to end up below us on the ladder standards? Or are we going to hold ourselves accountable to our standards and our new standards, which are higher than they've ever been? So that's what he can coach from that last quarter, some really important key things. This is unacceptable no matter what the scoreboard says. This is what we need to do in this moment. And it does not matter that we're 10 goals up because you need to treat this like it's halfway through the third quarter in a preliminary final against playing against the Brisbane Lions or, or Melbourne. Um, so the coachable moments that come out of this last quarter will be good for the stepping stones of this Carlton group. Because the foot before that it is so damn good to watch i uh, i'm excited by what they do and the way they move the footy so they can do even more this year than i thought yeah they, they, they did move the ball beautifully and, and kerno presenting time and time again on the lead was a real handful for adelaide today and the thing that struck me was the delivery inside 50 to him low hard kicks i think when we go back a few weeks to when they played Fremantle, the ball was bombed in high and i guess that's a byproduct of the pressure being put on higher up the ground, Harris. How, how important is it that your midfielders are applying that pressure and that the ball coming in isn't that sort of low laces out kick that can hit up the key forward on the lead? Oh, it's absolutely crucial. Um, I feel like key forwards, key defenders, we're all products of our midfield's work. Um, you know, the way that the ball comes in is either going to be 
you know, as you said, lace out and to advantage of the forward or it's going to be sort of hack mung kicks coming inside D50, which, um, you know, us defenders absolutely love. So, yeah, we're, we're really grateful at times for the middies and what they can do, put the pressure on and, and make our life really easy. And then there's other times where we sort of, well, most of the time we try and bite our tongue and, you know, stop from, uh, from losing our cool a little bit. But, um, yeah, it certainly is. It makes it a lot easier when there's really great pressure and, you know, there's good structure up the ground, which, uh, which then gives us time to defend. Finally, Al, finally a key back or a key forward has admitted it. I've recorded that. I'm going to send that to some of my former teammates, Cam Mooney up forward and Matthew Scarlett down back, who all they did from one end of the ground to the other just stood there abusing us midfielders. It was always our fault. Never the forwards and backs. Thank you, Harris. I appreciate yeah, it. It's a fine line. And sometimes they're great. Sometimes you can get at them. You know, you've got to, you've got to find that line. <laughs> in the top eight lads um, and I went took my young son to the game on Saturday afternoon it was terrific to be there I love those massive games at the MCG on a Saturday afternoon in a good time slot like 1.45 Richmond will play Hawthorne in another big game there next weekend but 63,000 for Collingwood and Richmond at the MCG was superb and Richmond's now got four wins for the season and they're just slowly quietly going about their business I think when you've reached the heights of Richmond previously, everyone expects you to keep achieving at that level. But they're laying a little base here and they're doing it uh, consistently without some of their best players in the lineup. They've not had their best 22 by any stretch at all this season. So I just wonder what they might be able to do. It was awesome to see Dustin Martin back in the lineup and he had a, a few classic dusty moments as much as he's working his way back. A couple of Morris Rioli's magical moments where he bounced the ball like a basketball. He, Ran down, tackle, uh, Josh Dacos, no, and Nick Dacos, no less. It was very reminiscent of, of Cyril Rioli. Um, I was excited by what I saw. What was alarming for, for Collingwood was the way that they tried to play Tom Lynch. He kicked five goals in the first half. He had 18 possessions, took eight marks. And just looking at some of the footage in the aftermath of the game, there was a lot of latitude given by Darcy Moore to, to Tom Lynch. So, Lingy, I'll get your thoughts on it. And then I'll, I might ask you, Harris, how you do go about playing on someone like Tom Lynch you've had some good battles with over the years. Well, yeah, I'll give my two cents really quick. I want to ask Harris a question on that, on that too, um, in, in just a second, and, and not specifically on Darcy. But um, I think Darcy just got it all wrong. Um, I know there, there's been a lot of commentary now since that game and, and the, the freedom that he gave and everything like that. I, I, I get that because he signed a big deal. A huge contract. I get that because he's a really big name and he stands out and touted as the next captain and all of that. He is held to a higher standard and a higher account. Fine. That's okay. But even to that massive standard, he can still have a bad game. He can still have a shocker. He got it all wrong. He just got all his decisions wrong. He got his starting points wrong. Um, He'll go back and review it and he'll look at it and go, what the hell was I thinking? Um, That doesn't mean Darcy Moore's no good and can't play. It's just a quick little reminder that the game of AFL is bloody hard to play. And when you're playing on a team, a player that good in a team that that's, is that well organised uh, and you get it a little bit wrong, it can go pear-shaped in a hurry in a big game at the MCG. Um, the leading to my question for you, Harris, talk us through that headspace as a key defender when you know, you know deep down, if you could just hit pause and you could just go back and, and sit in the, in the meeting room you know exactly where you need to have been in the starting point, where the room that you need to have taken away, the, the leading lane that you need to have cut off. You know all that, but just on, any, on a given day, you just get it so completely wrong and you just find that you're just in, you've just made all these mistakes, basic mistakes. What is that feeling like? Does it, the, the, the walls close in on you? What, what, what's that moment like or that game like? Oh, the alarm bells are going off, Lingy. Um, you know, I, I had a similar probably day last year against the Blues at Marvel. Um, you know, Harry Mackay kicked six for the day. And, um, yeah, same sort of thing. I just found myself to be so out of sorts and so out of position. And, um, obviously, Harry, you know, he's a fantastic player. and He had a really great day that day. Um, you sort of probably start to internalise a little bit, I reckon. Um, think about Think about yourself and probably stop worrying about your teammates and um, really just eyeing in on what your opponent's doing. And that's when I reckon you become a little bit even too reactive um, and you probably try a little bit too hard. Like, I, I've found myself to be in similar positions in the sense that, 
like you're trying to read the ball too quickly or you're just not letting sort of the game unfold. And, um, you know, it can, it can hurt a little bit because you sort of feel like you're obviously letting your teammates down and you sort of feel like maybe your teammates aren't helping you out and the pressure's not around the ball. And, um, you know, obviously you go into a game with a plan to, to try and nullify such really dangerous key forwards like Tom Lynch and Harry Mackay. And, um, yeah, you certainly can just have off days. But it's super important to sort of try and deal with that adversity and, and not internalise and not let those alarms sort of go off in your own head. Does it come from a point, Harris, where... Because you're such a good intercept defender. Darcy Moore's such a good intercept defender. Does it just creep to a point where you... And I'm only talking subtly here, but you get to the point where you think you can outread the forward every time, so therefore you think you know where it's going and you've got it covered. But then on a day, oh, hang on a second, he's got a couple early and you're just stuck between... Do I back myself and read the play or do I go back to my opponent and you end up in a, in a world of hurt? Yeah, I think, I think it's just that, that second guessing of yourself, I guess, Lingy. Um, you know, when you start to, to worry about what your forward's doing too much and then you, start, you maybe start preempting where the ball's going to go. And typically, when the ball's getting kicked to the key forward, it's the bloke uh, from the opposition team that's kicking to his advantage. So typically, they're probably not going to kick to the side that you're on. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a fine line and... Um, yeah, no doubt I've had a fair few of those days across my career and um, I guess your ability to, to respond in, in the moment in different quarters and, and obviously come out the next week and, um, and play well is super important. So Darcy Moore is a really great defender, someone that I certainly admire from a, a distance and um, I've got no doubt that he'll come back you know, better and, and stronger for that and um, look forward to seeing the way he responds. Harris, I'll give you a minute or two to, to think about an answer here and I'll ask Lee just to give me a, an assessment on where he sees Richmond at the moment. But I'd love to hear from you. Who is the key forward in the game at the moment who, when they get their tail up against you, you're, you're most alarmed because their confidence surges. They can, they can do almost anything, it seems, when you're playing on them. And, and Lingy, where do you see Richmond? So they're in the eight. And I mentioned earlier they've not really had their best 22 out there at any stage this season. Are they are? A final side again? Are they a team that can contend for the top four again? I, I thought coming into this season, they, they could be back in that third to sixth range. I thought they could really do some damage. Um, at different points this year, I look at a couple of their players. They're, they're, they're terrific players. Cochin, these, these guys. And just think, oh, no, they're just too banged up to get across the ground. But then also uh, the realisation that when you've got your best players playing around you, you're not as exposed with your run and all that because you've got the balance of, okay, I can play as an inside mid. I know I've got the supportive run on the outside. So I still am really quite positive about their chances this year with all their personnel back. Dusty makes a world of difference. Dusty's, I've said, I said the heavyweight title belt is open at the moment because Dusty was out of the game. But while Dusty's still hovering around, in any big moment, in any big game, I still defer to Dusty a little bit that, you know, eventually get a few games under his belt, a big moment arises, Dusty will take care of it. And his teammates feel that too. So they get a boost from him. But they need Prestia. Prestia is an outstanding midfielder. He runs both ways. He's brilliant for them. They need Flostone, who's their, their best defender, I believe, and, and controls that, that whole back line. Um, they need they need Lambert. They need so they need those personnel back before I go getting that back to that really positive frame of mind. But if they could, I don't think they can win it. I think at the moment it's it's Melbourne, it's Brisbane. I'm starting to become a believer a little bit in Fremantle much before um, before time, and and I still believe strongly in Geelong. Um, but they could do a lot of damage. They could still make the eight and. You know, in a final, do you really want to be playing against a few of those blokes? So, yeah, I'm, I'm on the positive side of them, but only if that personnel comes back, Al. Yeah, I'm really positive about them as well. I think Cochin's actually having a really good season for them. He was important in the middle of the ground. I like the move of Jaden Short into the middle. He's, he's not only a good accumulator, but he uses the ball so damagingly. And Daniel Rioli, the halfback, has, has really started to reinvent his career as well, I reckon, back there. So... Let's see what they look like when Prestia comes back in, when Flostone comes back in and they start to get all of those key players back. Gibkiss looks like a very fine young defender. Have you, have you seen much of Gibkiss, Harris? 
Yeah, I have. I've obviously seen the Tigers play a couple of times this year. They've had some, um, you know, Friday, Saturday night slots. And, yeah, he's obviously uh, doing a really good job down there. I've got no doubt he's in a really good system. Um, you know, Dave Asprey sort of finished up at the end of last year and um, he seems to have slipped in there as well. So, yeah, he's got some awesome experienced guys around him and um, I'm sure he'll have an awesome career. So it's good to watch. And are you still, do you have to still be wary of the Tigers and what they can do? I suppose no team knows how efficient the Tigers can be, how ruthless they can be as, as well as Brisbane in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. No, they've, they've well and truly, I mean, we've sort of won, I think we might have, we lost to them at the end of last year, but we were able to get a couple of wins in a row against them. And yeah, as you said, um, you know, we've seen firsthand just how good they can be as a footy team. And um, clearly they've still got a lot of their premiership players there and, um, you know, probably getting a few bodies back from injury and that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely wary of the Tigers and the way they go about their footy. They're super professional, um, just hard at it footy team and they really make you work hard throughout the 120 minutes. So um, always a great challenge and yeah, no doubt they'll uh, go far this year. And was there a player that stuck out in your mind when I, I raised that question with you before around the play you, you hate it most when they get their tail up in a game? <laughs> oh, I, was, <laughs> I was probably, uh, I had front row seats to the Buddy Show last week uh, in <laughs> Sydney. Um, I guess... You know, he's, he's getting a little bit older, um, but his ability in that third quarter when we played him, he, I think he might have kicked, so he ended up kicking six for the game, but I reckon he kicked about three or four in, a, in an eight-minute patch there in the start of the third quarter, and um, the SCG was absolutely rocking. They just sort of, I think they might have been down well, five or six goals at half time, and then next thing you know, I'll look up the scoreboard and they're three points down. Um, and yeah, the way he was, you know, he's clunking them in the air, um, he's kicking them. Kicking jubilers from the boundary line, you know, just following up a ground level. Um, he's still got it, the big bud. And, um, you know, you don't kick a thousand goals by fluke. So, yeah, it's great. It's great to watch when, you know, when you're watching him play on a, on a Friday night and you're not involved in the game. But when you're playing against him, um, he's some sort of player. So, yeah, he's probably the one. I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that probably not the matchup for him. Don't have the leg speed to go with him. But, um, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, seen him a few times against us really kick some big bags. So, very intimidating. Plenty to get to still on the Al and Lingy show. Terrific to have Harris Andrews, the fullback for the Brisbane Lions, who are going beautifully this season. We've still got to get to Port Adelaide, the Western Bulldogs. What's going on there for the team that made the grand final last year? And what about Essendon? We'll discuss them next. The Al and Lingy show. So, Lingy, the Bombers needed a performance desperately. A lot of pressure, a lot of external noise. I'm sure a bit of internal noise as well. Some frustrations, some suggestions that perhaps the midfielders didn't understand the game plan that they were trying to carry out. And you've been highly critical of the ball movement. A lot of possession without really taking the ball forward. And then in the last quarter, what an onslaught against Hawthorne. The Hawks had been up by 25 points and Essendon kicks eight goals in the last quarter and steamrolls them. And... Peter Wright, as you mentioned earlier, what a star he was kicking six, including three in the last quarter. That, that was some turnaround. It was some turnaround, yeah, and credit to them. Hopefully they've discovered the way to play. And throw out all the, the junk time and the possessions in here. You can have a handball, now give it back to me. I'll give you another handball. I'll grab another one. Thanks. That was a nice little seven or eight touches and we went nowhere. That can go out the window, hopefully now, Al. Um, it was a terrific win. Well done to them. I do want to just... Um, have a couple of questions around the hyperbole meter that went off after that game. What was it, the miracle at Marvel and all that sort of stuff? Did I miss something? What a few blokes pulled out before the game with a little bit of a flu and they beat a team who'd won three games for the year. Someone needs to explain to me why this is one of the, a, a win for the ages, though. Tone it down a little. This is a team that's got Merritt, Parrish, Shield, Dev Smith, Jai Caldwell's uh, high draft pick. Dyson Heppel, Peter Wright, Aaron Francis, playing against a team that consisted of Callow, McDonald, Lynch, Ward, Bramble, McGuinness, Moore, Day, Newcomb, Granger, Barras, and Kaczynski. Now, no disrespect to them, but they've barely played footy. There's a bunch of kids or, or blokes who've played under 20 or 30 games. This, this wasn't the greatest win ever by Essendon. So, fantastic. Love the last quarter. Love the way they played. But let's tone down a little bit that this is uh, one, of the, one of the great performances of all time. That, that is not the case. 
They played a terrific last quarter. They had a wonderful win that they should enjoy. But now start playing like that every single week. Go away completely from junk time possessions. Play dynamic, fast-moving, ball-forward football and actually have an impact. Then I'll get excited, Al. But for now, I'm just tempering my, uh, my excitement and enjoyment of that one a little bit. Miracle at Marvel. I thought I was watching, must have been the Geelong St Kilda 2009 game again. The way everyone was carrying on. So a few weeks ago, maybe that famous game between Brisbane and the Miracle on Grass, Brisbane and Geelong. Correct. That's Ian Harris. But uh, a few weeks ago, Lingy, you brought your conspiracy theories to the table. And now I think you might have found another new segment for us. Involves around the hyperbole meter. I like, with what performance did we get the most on any given weekend of football, because it tends to be just a little bit of hyperbole that kicks around from time to time. I'll work on that one for you, Al. I'll have one for you every single week. This one was off the charts. I don't know if we can top this one. Tell us the truth, Harris. Um, how much do players absorb the outside? We hear from players all the time that we're just focused on what's happening inside the four walls. How hard, I suppose, in Brisbane, as much as I think you have a really good following in Brisbane and, and the Courier-Mail and the local press tend to, to follow the team very closely, how much of the external does get consumed internally? Oh, you'd be remiss to say that you, you're only hearing things from within the four walls. Um, I guess with the way that social media is happening these days, um, you know, there'll be obviously different guys that'll watch like footy shows during the week and all that sort of thing. But, um, you know, you try and stick to what your team, you're hearing from your team at the footy club. And, um, yeah, I'm sure that some... Some guys will be buying into a little bit more of that media hype here and there, but at the end of the day, it's really important to sort of just listen to what your, your coach, your teammates, um, and anyone within the footy club's got to say about your performance and what you can do to get better. And um, yeah, I think yeah, you'd, you'd be hard, hard fast trying to find someone that says they don't hear anything outside of uh, the four walls. Are you on social media yourself, mate? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. All over sort of the Instagram and Twitter and those sort of things. Um, so, you know, you, you see a fair bit of footy stuff um, from, you know, whenever you go on those websites. And I guess you see things, whether you're not, they, you let that actually affect you or not, that's, you know, up to the individual. And um, I guess guys probably early on in your career, you probably buy into that stuff a little bit more. And then as you get a little bit more experience, um, you probably start to establish that some of those things that are being said, mightn't necessarily be relevant to you or uh, aren't going to actually do you any good. So um, you try and put them in the back and back of your mind. You don't forget them. Maybe you do listen to them, but um, it might actually be a ways of motivating yourself. So something a little bit different. For my sheer sheer enjoyment in watching football, Harris, as I said before, I just love watching players who impact and just the way certain players play. Can you just tell Hugh McCluggage, whatever he does with social media, whatever he listens to, just keep it the same. Because I'm happy. I'm so... 26 touches, four goals. Great to see that he, he gets the goals rewards this week. But he does it every single... He just has shots galore. I love the way he plays as a mid. Doesn't always kick them. I understand that. But more and more, he's going to nail all of those goals. Please tell him I love whatever he is doing and his balanced approach. He's a wonderful footballer. I will, Lingy. Yeah, he's, uh, he's someone that's quite quiet in the sense that he doesn't really spend too much time on social media. So I'm sure he is hearing things. He has, you know, he probably hears it more from us as teammates about his goal-kicking uh, troubles in the last couple of seasons. But, um, you know, on the weekend was a great example of that growth that he's shown throughout this year. He's, he's been able to convert a few more of those goals. And um, as you said, he's, he's an awesome teammate, um, super classy. We absolutely love having the ball in his hands at any time because he makes great decisions and he's got great execution. So, um, you know, I guess, yeah, we're very lucky to have him as a teammate and, yeah, I'll make sure he keeps going along that same line. Is it part of your growth as a football team that you, you now have so much depth, so much strength in positions that someone like Mitch Robinson, who's been such a solid contributor for you and, and lays out everything he's got on the Gabriel, wherever he's playing anywhere, He's so combative. He's actually not in the team at the moment. Harris, how are you sort of viewing that? Is it part of the evolution of the team? Is it an opportunity for Mitch to go back and start playing some of his best football again? What's been the method involved? Yeah, I think it's a really great reflection of, um, I guess, the development of some of our younger guys. Um, you know, we've got a, we feel like we've got a really good development program up here by Scotty Boyce, who's um, the head of development and um, 
you know, Robbo sort of was battling with a few injuries early on in the year, a couple of niggles here and there. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, I think they gave him a week off. They had a bit of a calf injury. Um, and then, yeah, Jackson Pryor came into the team and Cal Archie on the other wing as well. And they've, been done a, they've done a really great job the last couple of weeks and have sort of kept Robbo out of the team. So um, I'm pretty sure Robbo went back uh, on the weekend against Coburg and had 30 and kicked three goals, some of that. So he's obviously putting his hand up. But um, it's been great to see, I guess, the way that he's still stayed engaged because there would be some guys within the league, you know, that probably would find it as a bit of a shot to their pride having to go back to the reserves after, you know, close to 250 AFL games. But... Um, you know, credit to Robbo and his character. He's um, continued to buy into the program and I guess he's just really hungry to get back into that spot of, of playing on the, in the AFL team. And um, I've got no doubt he'll continue to push for that. And um, I guess just having him, his support is massive for us. It was only a few weeks ago, Lincoln Port Adelaide was under a lot of pressure and they've now strung three consecutive wins together. And they're only sitting a game or so in percentage outside the top eight. So... North Melbourne in Hobart this week as well is a very winnable game for, for Port Adelaide. So things are starting to turn around a little bit there. And Friday night win against the Western Bulldogs was a very solid one. What do you think the prospects are for Port Adelaide now? Have they, take significant, have they taken significant steps in your eyes to remedy some of their early season woes? But they have, and, and they're clearly playing better football. But what I love most throughout the whole process, Al, is in an environment, a cauldron-like environment that is Adelaide, two teams, and it is a football-mad city, football-mad state, and they love their crows and they love their power, uh, that it can get turned up to 11 very, very quickly um, and the pressure can come. But the messaging coming out of Port Adelaide right through that start, and, and in particular leadership of Ken Hinckley, was calm. And it was controlled. It was disappointment and, and not accepting of the position they were in at zero and five. But it was strong and calm. And it was, no, we will get ourselves out of this and we will work to this and we will do this. And to their credit, they've done it. They're three and five. And the team they beat, last year's grand finalists who were in, in control of a grand final to about the 15-minute mark of that third quarter are on the same number of wins and losses now. Um, but we were all screaming from the rooftops about Port Adelaide start at zero and five and Ken Hinckley and this and that and, and all that. They stayed calm. And you just asked a question to Harris about being able to switch off from some of that external noise. I reckon Port have shown a great example of a club that has managed to, if not completely ignore the external noise, not let it impact the way that they've behaved and clearly trained and then turned their season around a little bit. Still got a long, long way to go. They've set themselves back. They're behind the eight ball because of the position they put themselves in after five rounds. But the way that they've managed that time plus come out of it sets them up to do a fair bit of damage in the back half of the year. And, uh, and it's been really impressive. Alir Alir obviously helps. I thought Todd Marshall yeah. was for them. Um, and the Western Bulldogs are so badly depleted, which... Made it interesting that given the forward line that Port Adelaide had, Dixon to come back as well after playing in the SANFL. So he's going to be a big in for Port Adelaide when he returns. But Zane Cordy playing forward for the Western Bulldogs when Alex Keith wasn't playing in that match. Was that a tactical error from Luke Beveridge? Oh, I think to defend Bevo, I think he's just trying anything to find that second forward um, and, and a, functioning, a really functioning forward line other than Aaron Norton. Um, so if it works, you're a, you're a genius. And saying Cordy kicks three or four goals and they have a good win, it was wow, he's the you know great coaching move and all of this. It that didn't work, and it and it proved to be wrong. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kick a guy for trying a move. Um, I, I I'm of, still of the belief that I would continue to play Jamara Eugle Hagen as often as I possibly can during this period because he's possibly going to get as many kicks as um, somebody else in that forward line, which is not many at the moment, but he will continue to gain senior AFL experience that he'll start learning some tricks. He'll play on a bloke like Harris Andrews one week and he'll possibly get completely towed up, but then he'll realise, oh, okay, so Harris does this when the ball comes in and, and what he does is when I try and get a run at it, he might just check my body a little bit or he won't let me get this run or he'll play up in front... 
He'll learn all of those things. He'll put them in the bank. And one day it'll start clicking because of all those learnings throughout that time. So I'd still play him, but I'm also not going not gonna to sit here and pot shot Luke Beveridge because he tried something with Zane Cordy. It didn't work, so it looks like a bad move. But he's just trying to discover a second partner there for Aaron Norton as best he can. It's probably too early for this, Lingy, but, but at what point does it reach the stage with the Western Bulldogs? They know they're good enough to, to make it into a grand final last year. We did see them sort of have that, that off year, the year after they won the premiership as well. And it's sort of happening again here. So do they reach a point at some stage where if this continues, you actually do go, all right, let's just not worry too much about this season. We still feel like we've got a really good group. And it is about building for the following year in the selection make in the positions that we play people in yeah that, and it's a good question but they'd still be deep in that we can get ourselves out of this phase and we're good enough phase um so it's hard to shift your mindset from that to okay let's let's take a little hit to to take a bigger leap when the time comes um i refer back to their opponents port adelaide remember they made those few preliminary finals through sort of 2000 and 14, they lost one by a kick to Hawthorne, had a good run with Boak and these guys in their absolute prime. Um, they had Wingard making All-Australian, that, that type of period. Then I reckon they quickly identified they weren't quite good enough to jump to premiership. So they took a little backwards hit by trading Wingard and a few of those types of players. Polek got moved on and all that. They took that little hit to then go young and bring in Rosie, Dersma, Butters, those types of players, Georgiatas, and to relaunch again. Now, they've only made it to prelims again, so I'm not saying it's worked beautifully yet, but their, their mindset was quickly identifying we are not quite at that absolute number one team in the competition. Let's find these young players who can regenerate us quickly while we've still got older players, oh, sorry, experienced players, who are still in their prime and will be. So that's going to be the challenge for Bevo is when does he go, when does he take a little backward hit to make sure that a Jamara Eugle Hagen, as an example, is having an impact at the same time that Marcus Bontempelli is still in his prime and Jackson McRae is still in his prime and not waiting too long that those two forces of the good young players having an impact and his stars they don't align and the, the, the stars become too old. So that, that's the real fine line they'll tread as a list management decision. But it, it may well get to that point this year, but they're not in that phase yet. They'd still be thinking we can, we can get our way out of this. Harris, um, we declared you last week. In fact, I think we've been feeling it for a while that Brisbane is, is the second best team in this competition. You obviously feel you can be the best team in the competition. Melbourne... Obviously, as the defending premiers and unbeaten through eight rounds has established itself as the benchmark again. And we're going to have to wait. I think it is until round 15 until we see teams go head to head. But I'm sure you're watching what they're doing. Have you got a sense of where there might be a chink in Melbourne? How you can go about trying to overcome what appears this unstoppable beast at the moment? Oh, I haven't. Yeah, can't say I've looked into it too far, Al, unfortunately. Um, yeah, as you said, though, you sort of get to watch them week to week. And, um, you know, such a, such a great lineup. Um, obviously, their mids, so good around the ball, contested footy. Um, their backs do such a great job of, A, nullifying key forwards and, and small forwards, but then also, B, winning the ball back and then really starting to transition the ball from end to end. Um, and then their forward line sort of, I guess they've started to, They've got a plethora of options down there in regards to their tall forwards. They've sort of got, I think Wiedemann didn't play this week. Um, and then the week before he played, McDonald didn't play. And, um, you know, they seem to be in a really sweet spot that, in the sense that they've got a really experienced group of players that have played a lot of footy together um, and are now able to sort of go out there and, and perform really strongly. So, yeah, it's been really, really great to watch them play, uh, um, play footy the last couple of weeks. They're super... Super tough around the ball. Um, defense is obviously well set. You know, I think they build their game off their team defense, and then obviously want to you know, get the numbers back in defense, and then slingshot them the other way. So um, yeah, it's going to be a really great challenge for us. We, uh, I'm pretty sure we play them twice this year. So it's round, from what I remember, round 15 and also round 23. So 
um, you know, they're going to be a couple of really great challenges and um, some that we'll really look forward to as a footy club. Something tells me you'll be playing them three times this year as well, Harris. We just don't know when that third one will be. But great answer from you as far as the players shouldn't be looking at Melbourne. If you catch a game, you might pick up a thing here and there, but it's too far out to really lock in as a player because you've got to lock in week to week as much as that's a cliche. It's just true. But would yep. you, would, would Fags have a, well, almost a little working party within his coaching group who, whose job it is to follow Melbourne and almost follow the breadcrumbs that are laid by the teams on that jet. So St Kilda would have done some things this week. Just maybe one or two things that didn't work ultimately to win the game, but may have worked for periods of time. And Fremantle, I think it's round 11 they play mm. against Melbourne. They might lay a few more. He'd have, a, he'd have a couple of the coaches really locked in on that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, um, You know, you've got guys, uh, Mark Stone, um, who used to work at Fremantle and West Coast in Sydney. Um, he, he's our opposition analysis guy. So, um, you know, he does a lot of the week-to-week oppo previews. And then our GM, Danny Daly, um, between those two guys, I'm not sure how they find time for actual work because they're, you know, chewing through football vision, um, you know, week in, week out. So I've got no doubt those guys would be watching, you know, not just the demons, but any team really, um, and just sort of seeing things that they can pick up and trends of the game and all that sort of stuff. So it's all a little bit over my head. Um, you know, I really, I do love and enjoy watching my footy, but, um, you know, watching sort of four or five games a weekend from behind the goals footage is a bit much for mine. So, um, you know, they, they'll do a pair of work. And I'm sure that when we get to sort of round 14 or round 15 and we're coming up against the demons, um, you know, we'll have a plan in place to play against them. But at the same time, we've, We've got to go out against a really quality opposition. Um, and obviously, they've sort of set the benchmark this year being 8-0. and zero, So, um, it's going to be an awesome challenge for us. And as I said, we'll just, we'll just worry about the Crows next week. We do need to wrap up shortly, Harris. But I just wanted to get your perspective on the Eagles, who no one gave them a chance of being a team, the quality of yours at the Gabba, given how depleted they were again. Um, there's been a suggestion that the tipping point almost was too much this time, that the match should have been postponed, but I think you could probably make the claim that West Coast would have had a few matches postponed by now. They've had so many players missing. Did you did you feel a level of sympathy for, for West Coast? What, what was your view on whether the match should have gone ahead or not? Um, oh, it's a tough one, Al. I mean, uh, we were, we were, it was made pretty clear at the start of the year that regardless of sort of COVID, um, you know, games were going to go ahead and you sort of do sympathise a little bit for, you know, guys like Josh Kennedy and um, you know, Shannon Hearn, some of those more experienced guys who they're getting new teammates every week from the, from the waffle. Um, but at the same time, like the Eagles went out there and they had a real crack. Um, I'm pretty sure that the contested ball uh, count was, only, I think we were plus two for the game, which, you know, we base our, our game so heavily on contested ball. And the fact that they were able to sort of match us in that area was um, a real credit to them. So they, yeah, they went out and had a real crack with us against us and, um, you know, we were able to sort of get the job done probably in the second half a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I know I came off the ground sort of feeling pretty sore and, and sorry for myself. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough position for them. Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate in the sense I've been in Brisbane, which isn't a huge football state. But from what I gather and, and a little bit of seeing some of the Western Australian media stuff, um, you know, they've been getting absolutely hammered over there. So, um, I guess there is a little bit of sympathy in that in that regard, but at the same time, um, it was great to see them come out on the weekend and, and have a fair dignity crack. And um, you know, I just I guess just wishing the best of luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, Lingy, I think some of the sympathy from the general public it gets eroded a little bit when you have players going to a nightclub during the week. And, and Adam Simpson, you could understand his frustration, his anger actually that a couple of players had done that given the circumstances within the club at the moment. Yeah, I, I felt for Adam Simpson. Um, I felt, and Harris mentioned there, Josh Kennedy and Shannon Hearn and these experienced players who've given their absolute all to that club and the miles, the, the, the flying that they've done for that team and the, what they put their bodies through. And this year is the year from hell. Um, and it, it's, it's horrible and, and it's just, it's all going completely pear-shaped. But there's certain things you can control within an environment that is going haywire. And they've been let down by their teammates who've gone out to, to nightclubs. Um, 
I'm not one for one second that would say um, players shouldn't go out at all. They should never put themselves in any situation. They're not allowed to have any fun whatsoever. It's ridiculous. But there are certain times when you just cannot do it. Now, I've always said 100%, we're really strong in this. Six-day breaks, any injuries whatsoever, even if it's corky, whatever it is, just don't do it. That's simple week to week throughout a normal year. Throw in a global pandemic that is now hitting Western Australia, unfortunately, so severely, you just have to say, no, now is not the time. I'll get an opportunity in six or eight weeks' time. I'll get an opportunity at the end of the season, whatever it is. I'll go out and I'll, I'll have some fun then. I just can't do it. But they made that decision, and that is just a massive slap in the face to those West Coast leaders who would be doing a power of work to, to even just field a team, to get a competitive team, to bring certain players up to standard and up to, up to education level of playing an AFL game against the likes of the Brisbane Lions. They're doing all that work, all those hours, all that stress, and here's a massive smack in the face. Uh, really ordinary from those players. Just lastly, I think, I don't know the numbers, but just to the, the naked eye watching the footy across the weekend, it would appear that the 50-metre penalties for umpire abuse are getting less week by week. And I don't think there's anyone more qualified. <laughs> Our guest tonight, Harris, this, Harris um, is it working? Are the players now supportive? What's your understanding? Arms out, no good? Yeah, no, I knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> no, I think... Um, I guess for us as footballers, like we're in full support. Well, me personally, I'm in full support of the whole um, umpire descent thing. Like, you know, as an umpire, you go out there, you umpire the game. No one's really cheering for you. Um, if anything, people are just going to get angry if you, at you for it. And um, it's a really tough gig, you know, making decisions in the split second. And as players, we, you know, get caught up in the emotion of the game. And um, yeah, clearly when I put my arms out a couple of weeks ago, I sort of probably didn't realise what I was starting. But, um, you know, it's super important, I think, particularly at junior level that we show respect and at senior level that we show respect and um, understanding towards umpires because, as I said, it is so tough. Um, with that being said, I think it's hard. I guess that first weekend, when I, I think it was maybe a Thursday night game and then, you know, you watch that weekend and you see some of, some of the arms out and maybe some of the more demonstrative acts sort of go un, um, unpaid, then I guess you start to get a little bit frustrated. But um, as I said, you've got to sort of level yourself a little bit and, and get that understanding perspective that umpiring is super hard. And um, I guess we just, we wouldn't have a game if we didn't have them. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's been uh, something that I think is going to be able to change and continue to change over the next sort of few weeks, months and years. Um, and, you know, it's only going to be good for the game. So do you feel like you can now query a decision or get some clarification on a decision that will ultimately benefit you as a footballer and your understanding or as... That no longer, the risk is just too great that you can't actually even go into that territory at all. Oh, I think you can still get that clarification out. It's probably just a little bit of holding out in that moment. Um, you know, that, that instant reaction of, oh, I don't think that should have been a free kick. Um, being able to sort of just, you know, settle yourself down, wait for whatever happens, whether the guy kicks a goal and then just quietly going and approaching the umpire and sorting that clarification, that's fine. And that's the perspective that I've got. Um, you know, whether or not people and, and blokes in the league have the, that moment of sort of to be able to grab themselves and, and not show that demonstrative or that hands up or question it, you know, in a way that the umpire is going to feel as if it is dissent, that's, that's up to each individual. But um, I've certainly found from learning from that experience, you know, three weeks or four weeks ago, whatever it was, being able to sort of detach from the moment and... Um, you know, understand that whatever I say is not going to change the moment. But if I can actually then go and clarify it, you know, a couple of moments later after the bloke kicks the goal or, you know, at quarter time or whatever, then I'll still get that learning, which, you know, I'm probably looking for. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one, but certainly someone I think that we as players support. Yeah, the implementation, but I think everyone agrees that the message it sends and the importance of it at a grassroots level is is greater and um, obviously it's important to ensure that there are umpires in the game and we have more football being played with the, the growth of women's football as well on the junior ranks. We need umpires there as well. So, mate, sensational chatting to you, Harris. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time tonight. All the best for the rest of the season. The Lions are playing terrific football and it's going to be exciting to see what you can do at the back end of the year with some key pillars back in your lineup as well. So... 
Thanks, Leaps, mate, and all the best. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Lingy. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Harris. Lingy, Harris Andrews with us on the Al and Lingy show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to go to wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe or you can review the Al and Lingy show there. Coming up, another big week of football. Round nine kicks off on Friday night, live and free on seven. Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs. Harris Andrews' team taking on the Adelaide Crows at the Adelaide Oval on Saturday night. Enjoy your footy, Lingy. I'll chat to you next week. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Al. Have a great week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.